I finally found a book that just will challenge me and, and tickle me and charm me and make me think and be convicted endlessly, eternally. And so I'm so relieved that it, it will never run out, that I can just keep reading it and something new will emerge. Welcome to the Bud Zone Podcast. I'm Bud, your host. The Bud Zone Podcast is for, from, and by saints, our buds in the faith. To edify one another in the faith and to encourage one another to love and good works. We discuss the world. We discuss the church. We discuss the faith. We discuss truth. And we do it with the mind of Christ. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to this edition of the Bud Zone Podcast. I am joined by a special lady, a friend of mine, a dear saint, Elizabeth Prada. I want her to introduce herself, and we're going to discuss the ministry that the Lord is using her in and uh, hopefully have a conversation that's honoring to the Lord and encouraging to the saints. But Elizabeth, I'm very thankful for you. We've known each other for I guess several years now, and actually met what a couple years ago at G three. Yes, yes, so, we did. And that was a blessing. We got to go talk to Justin Peters, and I mean, there were just all kinds of people. So it was, but it was wonderful. It was a special blessing to meet you. And this this year, my bride is coming with me, so you'll get to meet her. And, Yay! Uh, I'll have the privilege of introducing her to you. Give us an introduction. Tell us about you. Oh, goodness. Well, thank you for inviting me to speak today. I really appreciate that. I'm always surprised. Um, I might, I'm not that great of a speaker and I'm just a little shy. So I'm just grateful to be able to speak on your brand new podcast. And congratulations for that. Thank you. Um, Let's see. I'm just a Christian lady, came to salvation late in life, age 42. And from there, Finished my work, my work work up in Maine and then moved to warmer climates, as Jimmy Buffett said. I got to go where it's warm, um, <laughs> down to um, Georgia, North Georgia. So we're finishing up our brutal Georgia August right now, and um, that's about it. You didn't move all the way where it's always warm, because at least you still have seasons there. It does get cold. You got to put a parka on every now and then. So you didn't come all the way south. It's perfectly wonderful. Even the winters, um, even if it gets cold, it doesn't stay cold long. So I can deal with that. Winter in Maine was just getting to me after a while. It's brutal. It's long. And so I moved to Georgia where um, there seemed to be a church on every corner. This was very soon after my salvation. So I was bewildered as to which church to join, um, but the Lord led me there. Um, so I joined a church and have been a faithful church attender ever since growing in hopefully the likeness of the Lord. I guess I'll find out on the day. <laughs> well, it's a, you know, it's a slow process, but you can look back over the years and say, wow, look what grace has done. Lord, thank you. And that's kind of the, the paradox of sanctification. It's like, you know, the goal Paul tells us in Romans the goal is you've been saved to be conformed to the image of Christ so I know where I want to go and the closer it seems and the longer it seems like you've been a believer 
the more depravity <laughs> and sin you just continually uncover. So it's kind of a paradoxical thing, but you can look back over time and see, Lord, you've shown grace and you've grown me in this area, and I'm still fighting sin. I mean, it's still warfare, warfare with uh, the flesh and certainly spiritual warfare. So let me ask you a few questions. One of the podcasts uh, episodes that I, I did was with a brother about a Bible reading plan. Do you use any kind of Bible reading plan? I do. Now, I have not been successful until recently with a Bible reading plan. I just, I'm just sort of organic with the first years of my sanctification. I'm 60 now, so it's been um, about 18 years. It's been really about 16 years. The first year and a half or so, I didn't do much. I was still living in Maine, not going to church. I actually followed Joel Osteen for the first year of my believing life until the day I opened, um, someone bought me a Bible and I opened it and followed along with Joel and realized this does not match up. And I was so <laughs> aggravated. It just felt like a big jip, like he had stolen that year from me. And then I moved down here and got into a good church and got um, connected with John MacArthur, found his ministry um, and it's been growing ever since. So everybody, every January wants to start a Bible reading plan. So I tried the Ligonier one, the MacArthur one, um, the Machine one, um, the other one, the Greg, the Horner. Yeah. Um, and I'd never really follow it all the way through until a friend of mine from church who attends the uh, master's seminary in Santa Clarita, California, wrote his own, and it's a chronological one, the, in the order that the Bible was written. Oh, so. Wow. The first thing you study is Job because they, it's believed that's the oldest book. Oldest book, right. And that one clicked, and that's the one I follow. So we've been encouraging him um, to publish it, and I think he will. Um, but he's in seminary right now, and he's got a lot of other things on his plate. But that's the one that I do follow and I study Okay. Um, from, from that one. That sounds interesting. Well, the Horner system is the one that I've, I've used for years. Um and I uh, was promoting, uh, and it's a very aggressive one, no doubt. I mean, it's at a minimum 10 chapters a day. So a lot of people find that rather, uh, onerous. And uh, when I would disciple guys, um, and got a couple right now, but, um, younger guys, I, I, we would weigh, you know, how important do you think reading the Bible is? Oh, very, very important. How much do you do it? Well, I, you know, I have a devotional every morning, and well, yeah, but how much do you read? <laughs> well, I do. Well, let me ask you this. How much television do you watch every night? How many hours do you spend a day on, you know, YouTube? Or, okay, what do you think ought to take priority? Mm -hmm. So, good. But I wish that was published. We put it in the show notes because I'd love to see it, a chronological Bible reading plan. Now, in addition to Scripture, Elizabeth, what else? Because you are an avid reader. What are you reading right now? What else? Um, let's see. I really like John MacArthur's book, The Vanishing Conscience, because I love to learn how the mind works, how it's being transformed, um, as Roman says, you know, transformed into Christ-likeness and away from the world, how the conscience works, because that figured very prominently in my um, conversion. Um, 
you know, we all have a conscience. It's one of the mechanisms that the Lord gives people before they're saved. And you, you kind of know intrinsically what's right and wrong. So, and I always knew what right from wrong, but I never knew why. And that was very, I was very inquisitive about that. So after I was saved, I got The Vanishing Conscience. I'm reading um, a biography of William Borden of Yale, um, who ended up almost being a missionary, but I'll give away the ending. He died before he reached the missionary field, but his work for Christ still has a huge impact. And let's see, I read a short little, one of the little books from Ligonier about, that R.C. Sproul wrote about the conscience. Um, I think it's a question like, how does the conscience work? And I'm reading an old-fashioned, charming British detective book. Um, so those, that's what I've got going right now. All right. I do love the, do love the Puritans, um, love them a lot. As a matter of fact, I grew up in Rhode Island, and that was one of the original 13 colonies. And besides the conscience, before I was saved, it used to really intrigue me about why the Puritans would leave the comfort of their home to sail a dangerous voyage on a leaky boat to an unknown land for the sake of religion. That question really, really got to me. And of course, growing up in Rhode Island, you know, Newport, and we're close to Plymouth. We used to take field trips to Plymouth and see Plymouth Plantation and the Mayflower. And I would look at this boat and I would just wonder why, what is it about religion that drew people all the way across the ocean to land here. Um, so that was the other thing that used to really haunt me before I was saved all those decades. So I do like to read about the Puritans. And finally, I know the answer. <laughs> I'm very grateful. <laughs> yeah, it's not religion. It's regeneration that regeneration, brought you to yep. this. Yeah. And the, and the persecution. And that's something that, you know, is increasingly an issue for, for Christians, thinking Christians in our mm -hmm. day. You know, there's always been hostility and, and always has been persecution here and there. But now we're we're seeing uh, all these oppressive anti-Christian tenets and and patterns in our society, in our government. And uh, it's not hard to read and expect outright persecution. And, you know, the Puritans were fleeing that for religious liberty and the right to worship and worship is paramount well that's an interesting i know you're eclectic so you you read a lot of different things i see you post things about what you're reading currently but i guess can we expect to see some writing about your discoveries regarding the conscience is that something you're going to be blogging about i guess eventually it's it's i use writing as sort of i always have used writing before salvation even as a way to process um, sort of out loud. Um, I never really kept diaries or anything, but I was always obsessively chronicling things because I wanted to find the meaning of life. It just seemed ridiculous that we would grow, we'd be born, grow up, and then die at age 70 or 80 or 90, and then just go into the dirt. Like, what was the point? There seemed to be more to it than just that. Otherwise, you know, it just drove me crazy as to why we would live and then just die and then that would be it. So that kind of bugged me too. So it, before it, you before you were saved. Before I was saved. 
before you were saved, you also read a lot? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And so what was informing your search for answers to that question? Why are, why are we here? What's the meaning? What, what kind of things were you going to to try and resolve that question? Well, when I became an adult <clears throat> and before salvation, um, I thought in my 20s that the answer to this feeling, this yearning feeling, this empty feeling, this what is the reason for it all feeling would be to fulfill the American dream. And so I did what everybody does. I got married, we saved up and we bought a house and we both, my husband and I got jobs. I was a teacher and he was an engineer. And so I thought, now this will resolve it. Now I'll be fulfilled. I won't have these questions as to the meaning of life. And then he had an affair and left, left the marriage pretty quickly. And I thought, all right, well, that wasn't it because I'm still yearning. It didn't do the fulfilling thing that everybody said it would do. So I entered in my 30s, the Ecclesiastes portion of my life that I call it. And I thought, well, maybe if I live a different kind of life, that will fulfill me. And so I traveled. You know, I met okay. a new man and um, we, he bought a yacht and we sailed to the, from Maine to the Bahamas and back, um, had adventures on the sea. I joined an archaeological dig, traveled by myself to Europe, and I thought seeing the world and being footloose and fancy free, that would uh, resolve this emptiness, this yearning, and I'd find the meaning of life. And I did not. You know, I ate in the world's best restaurant. I saw the world's best art. I had no financial worries. I mean, everything that Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, I've lived. And it's all vanity. And so... After 10 years of that, well, eight years, I thought, well, <clears throat> why do I wake up at night crying? Why do I still feel this yearning, this emptiness? My life is really perfect. So I thought maybe education. So I got another, I got a master's degree. And I thought, all right, now I have this piece of paper that says, you know, I'm somebody, supposedly. And um, that didn't do it. So I was getting nearer to the age of 40, which is really between age 40 and 42, um, was really the travel to the cross. So finally, at age 42, after all those different questions and searching and yearning, I finally came face to face with my sin. Now, all those years, I never had the gospel said to me, New England is very dark, and you can go your whole life and not run into a Bible or a believer or hear the word Jesus. And if you do, like on the news or something, right? sort of like, you know, throwing acid onto your brain. You know, you run away from it, you scream, you go, no, anything but that. Life's problems can't be resolved by Jesus. It can't be that. And so you run away from it and you redouble your efforts elsewhere. So finally get dragged, kicking and screaming um, to the cross. And the Lord, you know, like how you put a puppy's face in his mess. Uh. Um, that's what he did to me. And I realized, oh, I'm the problem, my sin. And he must be the answer. And so I finally caved in by his grace. He crumbled all my fortresses and made me see. And wow. so that's, that was the long search. Amen. 
would you have considered yourself an agnostic or would you say you were an atheist or how, how would you have no, I, categorized yourself intellectually with regards to religion? Um, as I believe there was a God because in all my travels, like on the sailboat and um, we lived in a camper van and went across the country for three months. It's when you, when you live close to nature, it's obvious that, this earth was made by someone. Yeah. It just is. I mean, we lived in a boat. We saw the currents. We saw the tides, the regularity. We sailed by the North Star. Why doesn't the North Star move? Why are there constellations in stars? Why does the earth look the way it does? Why is there such perfection in a pine cone? I mean, when you live this way, you just come to grips with, like any, like Paul did on Mars Hill. He said, there is a creator. Sure. And that was obvious. So, I felt like I was so self-satisfied because, you know, I believed, hey, there's a God. He made this world. Beyond that, I couldn't get this, you know, Romans. I acknowledged there was a God, but I failed to acknowledge my sin and how to get to God. But I thought I was pretty much okay by saying, you know, maybe a deist, you know, there's a God. He's up there. I acknowledge him. He's lucky I acknowledge him and I go on my way. And when you die, it's just uh, good outweighs the bad and you're in. Yeah, like I'll probably, well, that was the other question is if there's a God, every culture had always talked about a heaven or an afterlife. So why was that? You know, there's Nirvana, Valhalla, the Native Americans. You know, why does every culture that ever lived believe in a deity and believe in an afterlife? So I believe there probably was, but that led to another question. What makes it heaven? If we all go there, why is it heaven? Because people are pretty horrible down here. <laughs> and true. If, I mean, it, it just seemed to me that was not a place I wanted to go because it's obvious that people were kind of mean and, and not really good. And if there was some sort of benchmark or entry bar, what was it? And once again, it can't be Jesus. It can't be the blood thing. It can't be the cross. That's just too gross and, and too horrible to contemplate. So then I got stuck and hung up again. Hmm. And the cross is not a part of natural revelation. It can only get you so far. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It was the Lord's grace that forcibly wrung my heart out and made me understand what sin was. And so I am grateful that the Lord saves by grace because i know to my bones i never ever ever would have done it myself ever i never would have come to any free will intellectual acknowledgement of my sin yeah that right. was a hard refusal every time as it is in every case I, I mean all our circumstances are different of how the lord has led us out on the leash and then he pulls his children in and he does it all by grace and it is sovereign. And we look back and realize, um, wow, what you let me go through. In your case, you experienced Ecclesiastes before you ever read it. <laughs> so true. Yes. I <laughs> love that book. Did, I love, right? I love the Bible because all my life when I searched, when I chronicled and I tried to find a pattern in things and I tried to find the answers, there is an answer. It's all written out. There is a manual. Yeah. There is a way that you can turn to it and you can say, what do I need to do? Oh, there it's written. There is a, a deity that I can please if I obey. There is reason to things. 
So to me, even though prior to salvation, Christianity made the least sense, post-salvation, I'm eternally grateful because it makes the most sense. Oh, absolutely. But you get to, and of course, now you know it. You didn't know it then, but but you get to the end of Ecclesiastes, and there's just that classic verse. I don't do life verses and stuff like that, but um, Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen, the end of the matter, after all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now you understand that. Now I understand that we're all in the same position as, as uh, believers. So you said both before and after your salvation that you would write as a way of working things out. You're a very clear thinker. You're a very clear writer. So you kind of work through things that as I've read you, you work through things in a very logical, classically logical kind of way, which is absent largely. I mean, I write and I'm a hack, but I can read other people like you that are excellent and follow the logic. And, and in your case, now your, your website, which hosts all of your writing is just filled with that. So introduce us to your, to your website. What are you doing with it? Because I have I think, you know, you're a writer, I'm a writer, we like alliteration, and I had three Ds for your website. Most people, I think, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, most people would think of you and think discernment blogger. Do you think that's right? I do. Um, before, Just before I got saved, I was a journalist. I was an editor running my own paper. And, oh, um, wow. I learned through... Um, journalism classes and being um, around other journalists that people will always fill in a blank with a negative. And that's the same in Christianity. Whenever there's anything negative, if they suspect or if there's a blank, they always think like the worst. So people just naturally gravitate toward the more negative things, which many people ascribe to discernment as a more negative thing, which sometimes it is because you have to tell somebody that something is wrong. Yes, there's, right. There's a wrong doctrine, there's a wrong teaching, there's a wrong teacher. Um, and so that always tends to loom large, even though I mainly write theology, I mainly write encouragement, I do some series. But yeah, people think, you know, oh, discernment. So, okay, I'm a discernment writer. <laughs> well, whatever. You're, you're not a scorch the earth kind of discernment writer when you're doing it. You, there's a motive behind it. You're not trying to win an argument. You're trying to do what I would consider the other alliteration of D stands for discernment. In your case, it also stands for discipleship because you are trying to use this to, to disciple largely other women. I, I don't know if you're able to tell the audience of your website. Um, is it primarily women or is it not? Yes, but it, it is mostly women and on Facebook too. And I think, and thank you for the compliments about my writing too. I really appreciate that. And I think when I started um, being a teacher's aide down here in Georgia in 2011, my first placement was in a special education classroom. And we had some children who had autism. 
and I read the Encyclopedia of Autism so I could better serve the students in the class. And I realized that most likely I am autistic and resolved some questions for me as to why I feel the way I do, why I act the way I do, um, just lifelong questions. My cousin is also um, autistic. She's kind of famous um, living in a facility in Florida. And I think my father also was. Um, so that would explain the logical mind. The most, a lot of time you hear this, this mantra said that most autistic people think that the body is just good for carrying around the head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much a thinker. Elizabeth, that's spoken like a true savant. <laughs> <laughs> It's, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just let me think. Let me just think. Let me read and think and ponder and meditate. And that's all I've ever done. Um, so that would explain the logic. And quite a few autistic people have a real adherence to and a, and a cling to a sense of justice and of right and wrong. And I, I have that. I have always been very concerned with things being right and things being wrong. And without the moral compass of the Bible to guide me, um, sort of drifting, but I knew that there was a right and there was a wrong. I remember an argument with my mother once about a certain topic, and she just yelled at me to stop being so dogmatic. But to me, things are black and white, not gray. There's no middle semi-immorality. There's morality and immorality. And I part of that search through my life was to find where is the right and wrong? Where is it written out? And that's the Bible. So the days when I have a hard time with what I believe is my autism, I'm not diagnosed, and it's very hard to diagnose adults, but that's what I believe. Um, when I have a hard time, I just rely on the fact that the Lord made me this way, and the writing seems to fit the way he makes me think the way my brain is to think and with the discernment of all things to call out for being right and wrong, you want rightness attached to Jesus. If somebody is preaching a wrong Jesus or a wrong doctrine, that's the worst thing in the world. Right. It's not just temporarily wrong. It's just eternally wrong. And so I feel a very strong call that, that things should be right, not to win an argument, but because Jesus is the most wonderful person. He's righteous, he's pure, he's holy, and we should really work hard to get things right when it concerns his church and his people and his word. And that's not an easy thing. Even though we have the manual, like you said earlier, we have scripture, it's not just lying on the surface. You have to study it. You have to work at it. You, you have to um, devote yourself to memorizing it and dwelling on it and meditating on it. And I bring up meditation, not because what the world largely and, and even evangelicalism currently thinks meditation is, is not what you and I would, but we're to do those things with his word. And, and, you know, you continually uncover deeper and deeper truths, uh, from scripture that causes us to grow in, Christ-likeness, and it makes, it compels you, the Holy Spirit compels you to contend for the faith, and all these things are important, doctrine, that 
seems to be so absent in the church today. So I would say, you know, you're known for discernment. Your writing is also uh, for discipleship. And, and there's also a devotional quality to what you write. Just an exuberant praise and thanks. And I see that all <laughs> the time uh, when I go to your site. There's always something there that is kind of devotional. It's not meant to take the place of, of diligent study because I know that you do that. But uh, do you have a preference when you're writing discernment or when you're writing theology and discipleship or the devotional? Is it easier for you to write one or the other of those? I don't know because it just sort of comes out. And sometimes, you know, I don't even know what I'm going to write. But, you know, after I study the Bible— is God speaking to you and telling you what to write? Is that what you're saying? I'm telling? sorry? I said, is the Lord speaking to you and telling you what to write? You sit down at the keyboard and wait for the word to come to you? Oh, is no. That what you're saying? <laughs> oh, goodness, no. No, no, no. Um, like, before I was saved, I would read a lot, and I would have some favorite books, but they would come to an end. And even if I read, like, a long series, you know, of something, that would come to an end, and I would always get, like, what am I going to read next? I mean, it always runs out. But now, I read the Bible, it never ends. I finally found a book that just will challenge me and, and tickle me and charm me and make me think and be convicted endlessly, eternally. And so I'm so relieved that it, it will never run out, that I can just keep reading it and something new will emerge every time. And so after study, I mean, it's like I have papers, note papers just filled with questions and notes and things that I want to think about. And then I sit down to write and I start writing and then it just rolls along. I mean, sometimes it takes a long, long time to write a blog because I want to make sure it's right. And I've studied the verse and I'm not ripping it out of context. Other times, shorter things, it just, I don't know, it just comes out. And it's amazing because it's been since 2009, written every single day with very few repeats. Wow. So there's like 5,500 essays. Well, that was going to be what I was going to say. You know, we haven't told people where to go to find. Give us uh, directions on where to find your writing, your website. Well, it's called The End Time. It's the dash end dot, uh, the dash end dash time dot org. It's a joy just to sit down and write. Now, my earliest, earliest, early days. Um, when I was on Blogspot the first year, I did a lot of newspaper eisegesis, which I don't really, I'm not totally embarrassed about um, because I was thrilled with finding the answers to things. Now I know why Israel is always in the news. Now I know why the Jews are always persecuted. Now I know why devastating earthquakes happen. And now I know why those kind of things. I was really seeing how the Bible tells us why the world was the way it was. And, but gratefully, the Lord grew me away from that. And eventually, I went away from Blogspot and transferred to WordPress. And those earliest essays are still on Blogspot. They didn't transfer over. And eventually, just growing in whatever topic comes to mind, basically. I just write whatever I'm studying or come to mind or whatever I'm thinking about. So theendtime.org. You started yes. that when? How long have you been on that? January 2009. Wow. And there are 5,500, is that what you said? Yes. That's incredible. 
So what will the title of your book be? <laughs> That's what people keep asking me. They say, you should write about your life or you should write about, you know, I don't know. I, I am old enough to remember before blogs came along, before the internet came along. And I've always been a writer, as I said, and I tried to get things published, but the gatekeeping in the publishing industry was very, very tight. And few people could get published, like the common man. It's one of the reasons I started the newspaper. I'm like, huh, well, I'll start my own um, and write about civic things. And then when blogs came along, what a joy and a relief, because now anybody can write. I mean, it's fraught with difficulties because anybody can write, and they do, and they often write false things or bad things. Or, But for the people like me who want to write about Jesus, it provides a wonderful platform. So for me right now, the blog um, is enough. I'm still working full-time, and I've got full-time church in real life, too. So Yeah, right. But this is a ministry for you as well as kind of just a personal outlet, and it's a blessing. I just, you know, it, it, we will be in heaven, which you now want to be in, and, and you're going to discover, wow, I would have never thought that something you've done at your keyboard would have the impact on someone else's life, that the Lord would use that. So so you're a blessing and you're faithful. And if folks have not found your site, they definitely need to. Now, are you doing anything else uh, that kind of buttresses the writing work that you do? You were, you were looking at podcasting and recording, and is that something you are doing or you are not doing? Um, I am. Um, it's... You're right. When people, when this grew into a ministry and when ladies contact me and say they had been encouraged or they have questions and they ask me for help or they just need someone to reach out to, I do sit here and their tears come because it's such a blessing and it's such an honor to be able to help somebody in the name of Jesus. Now, see, I'm going to cry again. Just thinking about being able to offer any drop of encouragement to any lady in any way in his name is a beautiful thing. So I'm grateful that the Lord allows me to do this. And my church was started almost six years ago with the demographic of a lot of college and grad student aged people. Well, it's almost six years later and they've all gotten married and they've all had children. I think we had 21 children be born in the last few years. Wow. The nursery is bustling now and there are young mothers. And, you know, I have a real life ministry to these ladies in real life as a church family member. And some of them read the blog, but as young mothers, they don't have a lot of time. So some of them started asking me about podcasting. And so I decided, well, for their sake, if they can multitask or listen in the car or listen while they're folding laundry or chasing a toddler around. <laughs> it's another way to encourage a woman. If it's another way to get the word of the Lord out, then I'll do it. So it's called the End Time Blog Podcast. It's just me reading what I wrote that day. Okay. Is that available, I guess, on any podcast platform? If they search yes. for the End Time Blog Podcast. Blog yep. Podcast. It. It's on iTunes. Google, um, Spotify, Stitcher. Okay, you know, all so wherever those. you're getting podcasts, go listen to Elizabeth. Subscribe 
to that. And we'll put a link. This will have show notes, and I, I want to put a link to how people can find you on social media because you and I are connected largely, I think, through Twitter and uh, Facebook. Facebook, But yes. you may be in other places I don't know about, and uh, we'll put links to that on there so folks can find you because you do actually do this as a ministry. People, women can reach out to you in a way where they're looking for guidance. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's one of the things years ago that I found most refreshing is that, uh, people would send you a direct message that send, send them to me or send me an email or whatever. And I, I listen most afternoons when I'm driving home from work, I'm talking to somebody I've connected with on social media. I recognize the place can be a cesspool, uh, especially Twitter, but you know what? I have run across folks like you. Uh, on social media that are a blessing, that are an encouragement. But I also run into those that, you know, we're all at different levels in our faith. We're all at different maturity levels. And so somebody has a question, hey, what about this? Or, or what do I do in this situation? Or who can, I, who can I read? It's a blessing to be able to point people in those directions. Certainly if it's a sin issue or something, you've got to direct them to their church, to their pastor, to their elders. Your elders support you both in the blog and in the podcast, right? I, you've told me that. They, they encourage you to do this. Yes, our church, I'm a um, regular attender, a member of a, a local church, and there are four elders. And especially like if, you know, I, I've been asked to speak or go on podcasts and I asked them if they thought that was something that would be appropriate in, you know, for what they see for me. And so they said yes. And so they do encourage and they do provide oversight and guidance to me and also wisdom. I love them all four very dearly. You will be uh, doing a, a breakout session then at G3, I guess. No, 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 no. I don't see, I don't know. I just, I'm all constantly surprised that anybody wants to read anything I ever write. So I don't know. Listen, you're, you're humble and that's a fruit of the spirit. And the Lord is using you, and that is tremendous. What do you see as the primary issue right now, both for the church at large and for women in the church at this moment in time? Well, the, the verse from Hosea 5 comes back to me quite often, and I wrote about it this week, a couple of days ago. I think it's five eleven and 12, where the Lord says to Ephraim and Judah, I will be a moth as, to Judah and, or a worm to Ephraim. And to me, you know, it's, it's, I love prophecy. When I first got saved, I actually read the Old Testament first, and I started with the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Haggai, you know, Zephaniah. You just dove right in, didn't you? (laughs) I did. I did. It's the Lord. I mean, I just couldn't stay away. I just absolutely loved, well, it was the justice, the, the, the justice that the Lord promises that he will render and right all wrongs. And that was just very it was a balm to me, even though, you know, judgment isn't pleasant and I mourn lost sinners, I am relieved to know that the Lord is in charge and will rectify all wrongs mm-hmm. and put perfect justice upon everything at the end. So that was how I started. And after like, I don't know, five or six years, I thought, well, maybe I ought to read John. Everybody <laughs> says we should start with John. Maybe I should go there now. Um, so... I loved that. And where was I going with that? What did you ask me? Well, what do you see as the main oh. issue at the moment for the church at large and maybe for women in the church right now? Okay, Hosea. Um, 
the judgment, we often think of judgment as, you know, of course, the tribulation judgments, those will be very visible. And toward the end of those, the people will know their judgments. They'll still reject him, but they'll shake their fist and refuse to repent. And we know when Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zeboim, there were actually four cities that were um, destroyed on the plain. Um, that was the brimstone that came down. We know that's a big judgment. But there are silent judgments. And it's really intriguing to think that the Lord would, have, would be working in America like he did promised to do to Israel back in the day, Hosea's day, as a moth or a worm, which silently eats away slowly in the dark until you take the garment out of the closet and suddenly it's shattered. It's, mm -hmm. It won't hold up. Or the foundation suddenly caves in because the worm has eaten away all the wood. That's where I think we are now um, in terms of judgment in America, being exposed to the sudden collapse of many of our civil infrastructures, you know, government isn't working, politics isn't working, you know, the things that we're used to are suddenly not working. And the result of that seems to be really doing the mind in on a lot of women, myself included. It's been really hard to adjust to the new normal. And for a woman, especially who has children, worrying about their future, adjusting to empty shelves at the grocery store, adjusting to the difficulty of obtaining, you know, the, the normal things that we need mm -hmm. to run our home. Some women tell me that their husband doesn't feel comfortable going back to church and they feel bereft and unattached. Mm. Um, it's just a heady whirlwind time that's devolving, it seems to me. And a lot of women are having a difficult time living and managing their homes and being calm, not irritable, I really want to minister and provide some encouragement and some reasonable theology and point back to Jesus that there is a reason for all this, that it will turn out in the end okay. My blog yesterday was first to make sure you're saved and secondly to um, understand that there will come a day when prophecy will be fulfilled and it will end and all this will end. So we just need to hang on and persevere and keep looking toward Jesus as sovereign, even though things seem pretty negative right now. It is hard for women to rejoice. You know how Paul says, rejoice, I tell you, rejoice. Yeah. Over in Romans, rejoice. It's hard to rejoice when things aren't going our way, but on the other hand, do we only rejoice when things are going well? Jesus is supreme over all that. And no matter what our circumstances are, ladies, we need to rejoice and be the, as John MacArthur said, the eye in the hurricane. And so that's really hard. I really feel for a lot of women, especially who have children in these days, with having to do all that we need to do and be good and patient, fruit-bearing Christians on top of it. But we do. I mean, Corey Ten Boom praised and was thankful for the fleas in the barracks. Yeah it kept the guards away and she could share the uh, gospel with the women who bunked with her. So there's always something to rejoice about. That is profound. And, and there is so much theological truth behind it that you could direct people and you could go to sovereignty. You could go to, and certainly you can go to Christ. You're going to point everyone to Christ, but particularly where he says, my peace I give to you. 
mm-hmm. you know, the world has its own definition of peace. I don't think the world is attempting it at the moment, even in a self-delude, self-deluded kind of way. But we have a peace from Christ in the midst of all circumstances. But the other attribute that sustains us is not only sovereignty, uh, but also his faithfulness. He has not saved you uh, to conform you to the image of his son, to not care for you. And when those occasions where you need grace arise, the grace is there because he's faithful to provide that grace and cause you to persevere because you are a means. We're, we're all means. Uh, I mean, we're disciples here making disciples. That's, that's what we're here for. Let, let me ask you this. As you've thought about this issue of judgment in America, which oddly enough, a lot of people, even professing believers that I, I talk to, they, they have a hard time seeing it. That concerns me. If you can't see the hand of the Lord at work right now in judgment, um, mm-hmm. you might need to examine yourself. This is pretty vivid. But in mm-hmm. your thinking about this, do you connect that judgment to the church? When Peter says, you know, judgment starts at the house of the Lord, have you thought through a connection between the failures of the church maybe for the last century, half century, that may have precipitated what we're seeing now in the culture at large? Yes, that's, yes, exactly. I realized that not all teachers are true. Not all churches are true. So to me personally, very obvious that the church in many respects has failed greatly. I'm very concerned about false converts. I'm very concerned about, the damage that um, Charles Finney and Billy Graham did with the easy believism mm-hmm. and the altar calls and pronouncements of saved. I worked with a child evangelism ministry for a while and accepting child children's pro- proclamations of repentance as genuine and solid happened quite often. And they might be, but there are many children who were told they were saved who might not be. So I'm really concerned about false converts and they do populate the church as well as people with malintent on purpose, mm-hmm. right? Populate the church. So that has polluted the church and it's been a very difficult thing to get people to understand that in my real life church life. They just think if you mention the word Jesus, then that means you're saved. I think that the Lord is doing a work in the church and stripping away um, the true from the false. And I think that he's done that through COVID and through the shutdowns. There's always a remnant. If you look at the numbers in the Bible, I know there will be a great, great, great many people saved in the end. But proportionally, compared to the whole population of humanity since the beginning, it's not a large number. The whole world was flooded except for eight people. The Lord in Matthew 24 said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, you know, didn't I believe in you? And that word I looked up in Greek is like many, like almost to the outermost. So many people will find out that they were not saved. I just have a concern for churches that were built on false premises with false converts And they will be, I think the Lord has worked like a worm and a moth in them too. That's quite perceptive. I agree with you. 
Uh, and there are any number of things that we can go back and look at and say, here's part of the reason, the pragmatism, the decisional regeneration, the complete, almost utter lack of church discipline, sin is tolerated. All of these things contribute to testing the patience of the Lord. And I think you're right. I think now in the last year and a half since COVID, he's been chastising his church. We need more faithful churches that are going to mm-hmm. preach the full counsel of God that will not compromise the gospel in a desire to please men and populate their pews. It is a lack of those kinds of things that uh, I think contribute to where we're at right now. The Lord is chastening his church. That judgment starts there, and it expands into the, into the culture at large. Anything else you'd like to say? I would like to say that we should be grateful for salvation every day. You know, the, I'm kind of grateful the Lord gave me a childlike mind so that I can always strip away and go back to the basics and remember I'm saved, maybe because I was 42 when I was saved. And I remember so vividly what it was like to be lost and to have questions and to feel angry and upset. But I'm just be grateful for salvation. Be grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross. Be grateful for his ascension and his ministry among the churches right now, among the lampstands. What a beautiful mm-hmm. vision that is in Revelation 1 and 2. If you need encouragement, I would say read Revelation. It, to me, it's one of my favorite books. It, Like John MacArthur says, it gives you its own outline. And even though it gets really bad in the middle, it's helpful to see how angry the Lord is at sin. And in these days when I personally, anyway, feel irritation, grumpiness, um, I complain. I've been doing a lot of complaining and repenting and irritability and repenting. Read Revelation to see even those things are sin. So um, it helps straighten me out. And it gives me such joy at the end when we see how things come out, what the Lord has planned for his people. And that's the Lord as he is now. He's not the Lord hanging on the cross. He's not the Lord dead in the tomb. He's not the bloodied Lord with a crown of thorns on his head. He's the majestic, working, vibrant Lord with the stash across his chest that says, Lord of Lord and King of Kings, striding among his churches and building building a beautiful bride. That's who we are, a beautiful bride. So be grateful and remember that and keep your eyes focused on Jesus. How encouraging. And if folks go to your website, it just occurred to me, you've got a banner up there before the title of your website that is Revelation twenty two twelve, mm-hmm. And it says, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. What encouragement. I mean, that's our hope. We have a, an eternal hope. We have a hope right now because of that. And, and what you've said is important. We need to remember, and we need to repent, and then we need to repeat the disciplines that promote godliness and faithfulness and obedience to his word. And, and that's tough to do. It's tough in in these times, but he's faithful. His Holy Spirit compels us and and provides the grace when we need it. Um, Mm -hmm. 
So I'm glad to hear you repent a lot because that's kind of like. <laughs> oh, yes. Normal. Not because I know that you need to, just that it's like such an absent concept in the church today. Oh, you need to repent? Well, I just invited Jesus in my heart. I got to be good. Mm, no, no, you don't understand. No, I fail daily. So I just, but see, the gratitude is, I think, attached to repentance. I'm so grateful for salvation and grateful to know Jesus. I want to do well in his name and for his name. And I don't want to sin and do bad and disappoint him. So it spurs me on. The gratitude spurs me on to repent because I know he will accept that repentance matter how many times I do it. And um, I can go on because he loves us so dearly. Amen. Well, Elizabeth, thank you for your time, for this encouragement. Thank you for the ministry that you're doing, the faithfulness that you've exhibited. You are an encouragement to many people. I hope that this may help, uh, you know, eight or 10 people that might listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> go to your website, subscribe to your podcast, uh, and pray for you. Uh, you're one of the saints that I pray for regularly because I know how the Lord is using you, and I'm I'm grateful and thankful to Him for that. So, uh, well, thank you very much, Bud, and yeah. bless you and bless your ministry yourself. And that concludes this episode of the Bud Zone. The Bud Zone podcast is a member of the Christian Podcast Community, where you can find scores of biblically sound podcasts for your edification and encouragement. Go to christianpodcastcommunity.org to discover more. You are now leaving the Bud Zone. Thank you for listening. God bless you. And just a reminder, no doctrines have been harmed during the recording of this show.